the Trent, the Jet, they like agents on top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance. Taking the credits when they spits and spritz a chip and dip a dip and dell I pin the tail. Death throw the penalty ID, throwing your identity, theft crime in the night, pick pop, keep the lock, stop, drop, roll the dice, double double dough, eat the rock road, pro shambo, tic tac toe, crossing a roll with the nice flow, with my industry, see me room room play monopoly with my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the teeth, teeth. How do you do venters? In this episode, I am in beautiful San Diego, California visiting with the proprietor of Margaret's Cleaners, the only dry cleaning professionals that I recommend to my clients. As you listen today, you will find out that Chuck is not your average dry cleaning professional. Actually, he's not your average guy at all. He has never played a home video game, but he knows a hell of a lot about astronomy. Well, put your smart hat on and listen for yourself. Good afternoon, Venters. Today, my guest on this episode of Vent with Trent the Gent is my friend, my mentor, a strategic partner of mine, um, and his name is Chuck Horse of the famed Margaret's Cleaners. And so, Chuck, I want to thank you for being a guest on Vent with Trent the Gent today. Well, thank you. It's an um, honor to be here, and I enjoy all the time when we do get to spend together, and uh, it's been a mutual learning relationship between both of us. So. Yes, it has, so, so thank you for that. So let's um, begin and, and go back a, a ways. Uh, what did you like to do when you were, let's say, as a kid or in elementary school? What were your main interests? My main interest, um, well, I was kind of the definition of the nerd, and back then it wasn't, uh, that wasn't a good thing, but I, uh, I, I fairly well adopted it. Uh, what did I like to do? I built little rockets from scratch trying to get them off the ground and it was uh, it was all space related and um, science and math were my, my primary interest at that point as well. I tried the sports thing but uh, my mind was there but my body didn't uh, didn't participate so it uh, uh, that was, uh, it was a, uh, that was back in, back in the Midwest and it was a, it was a great, great time and a great place to grow up. So as I mentioned, you are in the dry cleaning business and you do a whole um, variety of, of different other things and I'm sure you'll, we'll get into that for the listeners to, to know. Uh, so your interests in space, Whittling rockets, trying to get them off the grounds. How did you somehow get into the dry cleaning business? Um, interesting story. So I, I went, I went to college and got a degree in uh, a degree in physics. And at that point, I decided I wanted to con I wanted to actually work in the space industry. So back from the Midwest, when I graduated, I applied to every space-related organization there was, um, over 200 applications, uh, one significant interview. Uh, I had other local interviews that I wasn't really interested in, but I did get an interview from General Dynamics here in San Diego, uh, who at that point, General Dynamics uh, made the Atlas Centaur rocket, the Tomahawk cruise missile, 
Uh, we participated in the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, we also were part of the space shuttle program. So I came out and did uh, physics and testing at General Dynamics. And through that, I uh, became married and, and had three children and ended up uh, becoming divorced and actually ended up with majority custody of the children. It, um, so I was a single parent with three children and the defense industry back in the 80s was starting to decline. So at that time my parents moved out to San Diego because I had their only grandchildren. My father had been in the dry cleaning business for quite some time. So they invited me to uh, together to start up a new dry cleaning company. Uh, so we bought a very small company in La Jolla. We had two employees and um, my job was to make something special about the company. My father's job was to actually do the dry cleaning. And so I fairly uniquely was able to position myself that way. To, and then it turns out it's much easier to raise children as a businessman than it is as an employee. So I just decided to stay in the business uh, and gradually began to love it and find ways that I could actually make a change and uh, develop things. And, and I've been very satisfied for the last 20, 26 or seven years that I've been in the industry. Um, bringing new technologies and, and such, and uh, raising my children. Now my children are raising their own children, so it's uh, what comes around goes around. Yes. So, obviously you've brought technologies, probably that you've learned by, uh, you know, your, your days with dealing with physics and, and what have you, and you brought that to the dry cleaning industry. And you also have a master's in astronomy, correct? Correct. Okay. So, does that make you a, an astrophysicist, or what, what? What does that make you exactly? So I, um, yeah, I completed a, when my last child went away to college. I decided, well, okay, it's time for me and to to pursue my hobbies. So I went back and. Hadn't been in school for 20 some years and decided I was gonna go get a graduate degree and I picked astronomy, um, even though I had never had any astronomy before. And I went into San Diego State, walked on campus, took all the courses, um, ended up at the top of the class and they invited me to, uh, once I graduated, they invited me to stay as a professor uh, with them, which uh, was a little bit uh, of a challenge, but uh, I didn't have to step up and do it. They, they did it for me. I uh, uh, said, offered, I was considering pursuing a PhD, but they said, you can stay here and be a professor with, with your master's degree. And uh, so the question is, am I an astrophysicist? It's, uh, uh, my PhD would have been in astrophysics, which I have started and am pursuing, but it's at a fairly leisurely pace because I'm quite busy and happy with the work that I'm doing. Uh, where I'm at in that now, I need to write, I need to do first author, author of three papers, and then I will have 
PhD, which would be in uh, astrophysics. And going back to the cleaning business, so how, how does that skill set help you um, in the cleaning business and some of the technologies and things that you have done here? Well, we have some ver fairly unique things that, uh, here at Margaret's, uh, some of them around this type of advanced technologies, some of them around uh, chemistry and, and such. So what I really have, the, the technologies that I've brought to, to bear uh, include, one of them we, I just was awarded a patent two days ago on uh, an automated method of, of capturing the images of items as they are going through production. So we photograph everything many, many, many times as it goes through to uh, we use those photos for a number of reasons. One is to show the befores and afters to be able to uh, demonstrate the quality of level of work that we do. Another reason we want the photos is we're a very large operation and you, we process multiple thousands of pieces a day and if you can imagine at the end of the day we're looking for uh, what the computers would tell us would be a blue shirt like you have on. We probably have 300 blue shirts in, in the plant where now with these automated photos we just pop up and we can see that's the shirt we're looking for. This customer is coming in early, wants to pick it up at noon instead of 3 o'clock. Let's help the staff go find those items uh, and get them done. Uh, quickly. I also do a lot of, uh, write a lot of software. Uh, we have a uh, restoration division to where we run that entirely on our software. It starts with an app in the home, so if somebody's suffered a fire or water damage, we're able to uniquely identify everything from the home into the plant. The problem with the restoration business is you've just suffered a fire everything in your home is packed out and then you realize two days, two weeks later that you're off to a wedding and your patent leather shoes have been packed away or your wife has a, a favorite red dress that she wants to wear. So now with the technology we have, we, again it's automated, we take the pictures and it produces a website, a virtual closet to where the customer can go in and search for their own items. They can type in dress, master bedroom. They'll see the photos and tell us that's the dress that they're looking for. Those are the patent leather shoes. And then our technology will tell us where they are in the plant so we can get them quickly so that if you've got to go off to a wedding, the last thing you want to do is have to go buy a new pair of shoes when you've got a perfectly good pair sitting there. So this allows you to even though you've suffered a major loss, uh, you still have everything we have for you. You still have uh, relatively easy access uh, to, to them. So that's one of the technologies that we have is software and we're creating a number of apps for our staff to use to capture information. Margaret's Cleaners, you're probably known, at least in my book, for very proficient for getting 
all types of different stains out of, of clothing. What's the toughest stain that you ever had to remove, if you recall that? And besides stains, two-part question, besides stains, what are stain issues? What type of advice do most people summon um, from, from Chuck? Or okay. <laughs> Some of the tough stains, um, uh, cat urine is terribly difficult to remove. Uh, some blood, once heat has been applied to the blood, can be very easy to remove. Uh, hairspray. Hairspray is glue. That's really what it is. <laughs> it's a binding agent. And uh, so if a woman or a man applies hairspray, gets on the clothing, you don't see it until it, it doesn't come out in the cleaning cycle. Uh, glue doesn't come out very easily, but once it goes into the drying cycle and heat's applied, now it turns color and you can see it, and those are very difficult to remove. One of the, one of the, the reasons we are quite successful at removing stains is we are not a fast cleaner. Uh, we can do things quickly when it warrants. However, to remove stains successfully from good clothing uh, requires patience. We soak things often one at a time and let the chemicals do their work, gently release the stains so we can flush them out. In particular, old stains. It took many, many months, many years for that stain to get as tough as it is. Uh, there's no miracle that's just going to flush it out. Often you need enzymes and, and such to actually reverse that effect and, and give it time so that we can take the stains out. My best advice for the, for the homeowners is, uh, uh, again, hairspray, be very cautious. If you can hair, put the hairspray on before you dress, that'd be great. Uh, fine woolen clothes, uh, don't rub them with wet, a wet rag. We've had a uh, gentleman spill when he's on an airplane uh, on his custom-made suit, take a wet rag and he's rubbing it away doesn't really look and by the time he's done he's got a blue rag and uh, so just you're better off just uh, pat drying it and then just let it be and if we can get it as soon as possible uh, it makes our job easier and makes the the chance of success better that the stains will be successfully removed yeah I'm surprised that the the hairspray. I, I guess. I mean, I, I consider myself fairly old, Chuck. But earlier today, you gave me a retour of your your plant here, and we saw some some fur coats. And one question that I asked you was like, "What's the demographic for individuals wearing fur, fur coats?" And to my surprise, even younger people are wearing furs. And so when I hear hairspray, once again, I think of that same demographic. So. Um, it's pretty surprising that you're still getting a lot of hairspray we issues. get we get a fair amount um, you know we have a we have a number of millennial customers those are the uh, uh, number of the millennials aren't dressing as finely as the is the, the the more elderly people will dress however they're still carrying um, 
$2,000 handbags. They're still wearing very high-end shoes. They're still wearing some leather coats that are very, very nice. And, uh, and they're wearing Gucci tennis shoes. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the, they, may, they may not look as finely dressed, but the, but the dollars they're wearing are, are still quite, yeah. quite significant. Wearing finer goods, though. So as I mentioned, took a tour of, of your plant, and being someone who studies the solar system, um, are you, would you consider yourself a, a systems guy, per se? I'm uniquely positioned. Uh, we, have, we have nine family members in the business. And I, uh, even though I'm the president, uh, my primary job is to identify things that can be improved and then I develop something to improve them. Whether it be a new way of drying the linings in the handbags or uh, uh, we, we make a lot of our own equipment in that regard and I'll typically lead that effort because of my engineering uh, background, um, or I will develop software or technology to make things happen easier. So, am I a systems guy? Yes. Uh, what I typically do is I come in, I'll kind of identify an issue, then I'll work in that department so that I know everything that there is to need to know so that when I make a change, I'm not imposing something on the staff that hasn't been uh, flushed out to know that it's going to uh, make a nearly immediate improvement. So I do work quite a bit on the floor, um, but uh, they, they don't need me. Uh, sometimes they put up with me, yeah. but uh, I, I do like to get out on the floor. So uh, let's switch gears a little bit and, and talk about space and space exploration. So in your opinion, Chuck, why, why has the U.S. slowed down relative to space exploration um, after obviously successfully landing a man on the moon in 69? Why have we not really progressed in that area? Well, the... I have not studied it, but I have uh, uh, what information I have gleaned from it. I, I've learned from my wife. Um, my wife loves that I have a hobby and, and, and such, but when I go off and when I go to Keck uh, Observatory and use a telescope, the, the, the billing rate is over $100,000 a night. And her response would be, how is that going to improve mankind uh, when $100,000 a night will feed a whole lot of people? And some nights we go to the, to the observatories, we have to spend the money and we don't even get to open up because it's raining, which was the case two weeks ago. Uh, for three nights we had the Gemini telescope on top of Mauna Kea. We weren't even able to open the dome. There is no warranty. Hmm. Your nights are gone. Uh, now the chances are next time you, you put in for your, for your proposal, they'll look and see, okay, may, you may get a, a, a little boost in the, in the scheduling because your last run wasn't successful. 
So how do you justify spending that amount of money? And to me it is, when we started this off, you asked what inspired me as a youth was rockets, it was space. Uh, so by inspiring our youth in STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, math, uh, developing those skills have um, many, uh, they have many uses. Uh, of course, it is pure, it's very helpful for pure science. We want to know the universe we live in. We want to know why, how, when, what. It's, it's, it's all going to unfold. But the skills that we're developing in our youth and the technologies, you can't even predict where they're going to be play to benefit society in general. So to answer your question, why was had the funding been reduced? I think it's because um, this is pretty expensive to do and uh, the, the judgment is, well, maybe it's not the best use of the money. And, you know, I disagree. I, I agree that it shouldn't be gratuitous, that we shouldn't overspend, but if we don't, um, if we don't excite our, our technology-based type of youth, then uh, that would be very sad. Now, you could you, the same case would, would be, well, why, do, why would we pay an actor $20 million a year? Good question. It's to entertain and to uh, challenge and to enrich society, and I think uh, science and, and space enriches society. So with that said, do you think, and let's take Elon Musk because he seems to be in the forefront of perhaps you know, taking this on privately, um, what, do you, what do you think about his efforts and do you think he'll be able to succeed? In I think somebody challenging and pushing is a great idea. Uh, we haven't had it from our government for quite a while. Um, and I don't know that it needs to come from the government. However, um, the, it needs to be done as, you know, we need to balance safety versus the, the forefront and, and moving technology along. I know he wants to uh, uh, have somebody on Mars within the end of the decade. I, I forget what his challenge was and, and that's great. But if we're not ready, you know, we shouldn't go just because there's a deadline. Uh, I love deadlines. That's particularly how I do most of my development. I'll schedule meetings, I'll have a conference to go to, I'll have something to do. Uh, that's what keeps me up till midnight or one o'clock working on things is having deadlines. Um, but my deadlines don't involve uh, human life. Yeah. You mentioned the universe uh, a second ago, and I'm sure you're familiar with Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm -hmm. and just a quote from him, he said, we are part of this universe, we are in this universe, but perhaps more important than both of those facts is that the universe is in us. So what does that statement mean to, to you? Well, we are stardust. Um, the, the, the Big Bang uh, produced hydrogen and helium and a few other very little trace elements. 
everything else that you and, and, and we know of that makes our bodies work, including nitrogen, oxygen, magnesium, those items were either produced in stars when they were uh, generating energy through fusion, or they were produced when the stars died via supernova explosion. So yes, we are made of uh, the universe. However, I feel that uh, our creator has endowed much more in us than those elements alone. We're, we're, we're more than the, the elements of the universe. So as you study and at the observatory and doing what you do, what has been, and I love the phrase for some reason, I've, I've seen it all. My daughter says, I say it all the time. <laughs> I've seen it all now, right? So I'm assuming you've seen a lot of odd or rare things. What, what's the rarest or oddest thing that you've seen um, looking through a telescope or, or whatever? What's, what's the rarest thing you've seen? Well, I was fortunate when I went through grad school, I um, became very close friends with the gentleman who, um, when we both completed grad school, we, we both went on to PhDs. Um, I remarried and uh, actually took the reins of this company at the same time I was in my PhD and decided that uh, the PhD was going to have to take a sideline. My very close friend went on and uh, has been quite successful and kept me involved in his programs. Uh, we search for the most distant stars in the universe and four times we have set that record. Um, the last one we, we found was in 2012 and it, uh, that um, that star w was 12 billion light years away. So this is back near the beginning of the universe. So we get to go to, uh, one of the advantages of specializing in distant objects is you need really, really big telescopes to do that. And uh, I just love seeing the, the telescopes and the technologies and, and such. Now they don't actually let us the, the very high-end telescopes uh, are controlled by resonant operators, so we don't get to actually use a joystick or anything and move those telescopes, but we do it all with the computers and, and there is an interface between us and the telescope. At the same time, my, my job as a professor at San Diego State is to train new graduate students uh, on using research telescopes. So we have um, some very nice telescopes at our observatory and I actually get my hands on those and, and get to open them up and calibrate them. So I, 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 do, get to, I do get to get my hands on the, the telescopes and these are on the orders of um, oh, maybe 20 feet uh, long telescopes, a couple meters wide mm. where the big telescopes uh, they are sized in uh, uh, stories of uh, the build, uh, how many floors in a in a building. So the Palomar telescope that I've used frequently is seven and a half stories tall. My goodness, it's uh, the, the, they're very very large telescopes. So I don't get to put my hands on those. I get to I get to drive them, but I actually don't get to 
pull the wrenches out and, uh, uh, and tweak those. But so the unique things we typically look for are uh, the most distant uh, objects. There's another program that uh, my friend started two years ago that he's brought me in as a software specialist. And that is we're looking for uh, what are called fast radio bursts. These are, there's only been about 30 of them ever discovered. These are radio signals that come to us. And with radio, it's hard to do, you, you're not typically doing real-time detections. You're recording things and then you're analyzing a lot of the data later. And then they've started to find these bursts, which are extremely energetic and extremely short. And we've been able to determine that they are very distant. So if you take those three things, we know we now know they're not in our galaxy. They only last for milliseconds. Because they're so short, that means they must be small. But because we can see them from such a long distance, that means they must be bright. So if you take the energetics and the size, these are, these are the most energetic things in the universe, we don't know what they are. So one of our programs we do, and we do it twice a year, we, last time we did it in February, we had 17 observatories collaborating for the whole week. Every night we had, uh, we had observatories in Chile, Hawaii, South Africa, the United States, satellites in space, the LIGO gravity wave, all looking at the same part of the sky, hoping that one of these fast radio bursts were going to occur. And we would make real-time detections as opposed to, since they're fast, you can't go back later because they're gone. We need to be staring at them with all the different wavelengths at the same time. And uh, it's predicted at this cadence it will take us three years for there to be a 50-50 chance that why we are on sky, one of these are going to go off. They could be colliding black holes. They could be what's called a kilonova, which has never been seen. It's uh, some of the highest energetic states of, of matter. And uh, so you're asking what are the most exciting things? Well, this is one of the most exciting things that we haven't seen yet. But uh, there's a couple teams that are racing to go do this. and. I'm fortunate to be on the one that's probably the most well-funded. Doesn't mean we're going to get. <laughs> doesn't mean we're not going to get uh, get uh, uh, trumped. Somebody else is going to get to us before. It can just be uh, the luck of the draw. But during this, we're finding many, many other objects. Uh, we look for things that go bang in the night, and uh, we found about two thousand. Uh, variable stars, uh, active galactic nuclei, quasars, flare stars. We're building a whole catalog of exotic items and elements, but uh, still haven't found a, a, a fast radio burst yet. What's the prestige or rewards for finding the most distant star? I mean, are you in some book of fame or? So my collaborator, he is in, uh, it's not, it's not Ripley's, believe it or not. What's the other? Uh, Guinness. Guinness Book okay. of Records. So he's in the Guinness Book of Records. That was, I think, the first or second one. Uh, the last one we did, 
the kind of holy grail is Nature Magazine. That's where the uh, they like to announce the big, big things. And so we're in Nature Magazine as finding the most distant star and uh, Keck Observatory when they do their annual report uh, have included us in in that. As you, they they love to promote that their observatory is the one making these big discoveries. So they'll every year they'll announce what discoveries have been made uh, there. What's the big big prize? The big big prize is for my friend to win the Nobel Prize and for me to carry his briefcase. That's our <laughs> that's our agreement. There you go. <laughs> Going back to the killer nova and. The first thought to me was, well, how do you know what something looks like that's never been seen before? Theory. You as observers, um, there are theoreticians. In astronomy, has uh, a number of facets. There are observers and theoreticians, and the two are co-developing. So the theoreticians will look and see what's been observed, and they will model that. And then based upon their models, they will make predictions of other things that haven't been observed yet. And these two directions have been uh, working in tandem for many decades now, refining models, uh, making, uh, helping make discoveries by, by having predictions. Um, you know, often they disagree, but, but you really need them both working in, in synergy. Uh, so there are uh, there are things that, that that we haven't seen yet, and theory will tell us what to expect and look for. And then once we observe them, give them real data, the theoreticians will go back and, and tweak things and remodel things and and try and uh, uh, continue to improve their models. Wow, so is that the same as? I think this is a physics term, but the grand united theory, is that? Well, no. So we have, uh, we have the theory of quantum physics mm -hmm. and we have general relativity. Um, they both work very well in the arena w that they are um, more suitable to, towards. So we actually have two sets of rules for the universe. Um, the, the quantum physics is looking at the very small and the general relativity is looking at the very large, very distant, very massive, and, and, and high speed. In and of themselves, they work perfectly. And most of the world that we live in, the two of them never really overlap. However, we do now see things as astronomers, our laboratory is the universe, and there are things that are actually very massive and very small, black holes. So there are, there are states of matter now that m must accommodate both general relativity and quantum physics. So we are hoping to develop a grand unified theory. And this is what string theory and, and all its different modes are trying to do. 
which is to take these two sets of rules and end up with one set of rules that can handle both situations. One of the problems with string theory is there are so many free parameters in design, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but if you were to adjust every parameter once a second, uh, you know, in a trillion years, you still wouldn't have come close to looking at all the different possibilities. So we, string theory holds lots of promise. Uh, the next development is for somebody very smart to be able to figure out which, which modes to, to disregard and be able to uh, uh, narrow the, the theories down. You say someone very smart. I consider you very smart. <laughs> Just, you know, all the things that you're throwing at us today. Is that smartness, is, is that innate? Or how much of this can you learn? So, you know, people will think I'm very smart. Um, I'm, I'm gifted in some regard, and, and, and most of my gift is I love to figure things out, and I have a very poor memory, so I write it down. People, will, it may take me eight hours to figure something out that somebody more gifted could know, do it in 10 minutes. Wow. But uh, it, it, case in point, a couple weeks ago, one of the professors, he called me and said, Chuck, my, uh, my XM Grace program won't work anymore. And I said, well, what have you changed? And he says, well, I updated my operating system. And I said, well, did, did X-Quartz update in it? And uh, he said, yeah. And I go, well, then here's what you do. All I was doing is I was looking through my, my Evernote. I had solved that problem for someone else. And that first time I solved it, it took me eight, eight hours to figure it out. Uh, and the second time I solved it, I really did it on the phone because I was able to retrieve that information uh, uh, very quickly. So, so I'm, I like to figure things out and I like to write them down. At the same time, I have been to, when I started my PhD program at UCSD, I sat next to some 18-year-olds from India uh, and such that there's a whole nother realm of smartness that uh, those of us that work real hard to do well, there's, there, there are savants and, and, and people that are just gifted, gifted, gifted. I just watched, uh, my wife and I watched the movie Hidden Figures last weekend um, about the NASA program and the African-American women that were kind of put off to the side uh, and there was a demonstration how she got up on the board and was able to solve these problems. Uh, that level of talent does exist. And uh, some, uh, some people that have that talent um, pay for it in other ways. Maybe they're socially inept or, 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 or yes. they're dyslexic or something, you know. But uh, there, there, are, there, there is the ability for, for the human brain to have extreme talent and uh, um, I'm, I'm just glad to be, uh, I'm just glad to have the, what talent I do have and recognize that uh, there are some harder problems for uh, people that, it will take people with an entirely new way of looking at things to solve some of the new problems that are, that are coming. And 
when I mentioned it was going to take a, probably a new young person, um, uh, not having bias is very <coughs> is very helpful. Most of us older people, <coughs> we have a lot of biases, not biases towards gender or anything, but biases towards way of thinking, and that you, we've already realized that. Um, Two plus two equals four. We just don't question it. And there are many things we just don't question. We think that they are fact. Well, somebody new will maybe find some insight into why is two plus two equal four? Maybe there, maybe there is something there that I can exploit and look at another way. And um, most of us that have aged uh, have enough bias that uh, be rare that we're going to make make these these new quantum leap discoveries. Sounds exciting. That's in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, let's ask a question that I do on every episode of Bit with Trent the Gent. Uh, are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. Okay. Interesting. Most of my guests have been right-handed for, for some reason <laughs> up to yeah. date. You, you, uh, you could remove my left hand and I'm not sure I would notice. So it, it, <laughs> it, it's there to hold. That's about it. Okay. At least it can hold something. <laughs> you mentioned the brain earlier, so normally my follow-up question to that is, are you right-brained or left-brained? So I don't... I, I, I know at this point in my life I should understand, you know, which 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 way it is, which way I think. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know which way is right. Which. Is more creative. More creative. Uh -huh. So I. I don't know. I'm. Uh, I'm dyslexic. Um, I never knew that. Yeah. Uh, I have a gentleman who I just hold in extreme high regard, and he's autistic. So there are, and I think he his ability is, uh, his aut autism has actually uh, enhanced some of his uh, cognitive capabilities at you know at the sufferance of others you will have to tell him that he's been insulted he would not recognize he's been insulted you know so there it comes at a price um, Is but that a good thing though to know that oh yeah I, I, when, I, when you've I, been insulted I, and you don't even yeah know. yeah no I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not questioning it, but, yeah. but but uh, but I, I'm I'm fairly dyslexic I, I was a very late uh, reader and still at this point in time actually probably one of the main reasons I didn't do the, the I haven't finished the PhD is writing I have to write papers I don't even like to read papers uh, you don't want to write them but very interesting like I said, never knew that I know along the way as, as a mentor you've given me books to read podcast so well, okay, but I thought you were the voracious reader because you you've always had a book for for me. I mean, an actual book. Yeah, I, I'm so. I'm listening to the book. I typically buy the books, um, but I my first introduction is, is is listening to them. All right, good. As an uh, uh, astronomer, do you have a is there a favorite day of the year? For an astronomer, is there a certain? Is it summer solstice? Is it? I mean, is it some day that we just well we have know about? well we have an eclipse coming up in mm -hmm. in, in August and, and and most of the astronomy community is very excited for that. I'm one of those astronomers where uh, like I had to give 
um, uh, I took a Girl Scout troop up to the observatory a couple weeks ago to, I can give them tours of the observatory and all that and answer their questions, but I took students with me to show them the night sky uh, because I, I, I know Venus, I know Sirius and a few other things, uh, the, the other parts of the sky. Uh, to me, one, I, I, looking through telescopes, they're fuzzy gray things. Uh, I'm, my excitement is, is how far did we look? Uh, you know, it, it's, more of the, it's more of the math and, 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 and the computer science. So I'm not particularly gifted at directing people uh, to the sky, which correlates into dates. Um, uh, I'll normally find out about when the meteors are coming from the radio, uh, or my my phone, my app will warn me that something's coming. But um, to me, my the beauty for me is is in the math and the the software and uh, the science and and that as opposed to the uh, uh, as opposed to the pictures. It's a solar eclipse that's coming up, right? The one yes. you alluded to. Yes. It, oh. You know what date in August that is? Oh, uh, so I, I think it's like 21st right. or 20th. It's, right, it's in the 20th. All right, yeah. we'll look it up. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to um, uh, I'm going to go visit a friend in Atlanta, Georgia, and the eclipse will be about an hour north of there. So uh, that's where I'm going to go to view it. Most of my friends are going to like Jackson Hole or, or someplace uh, extravagant. Uh, this is a very busy time of the year, so I actually have business to do back there, so I figured that would be a, because it's nowhere close to us here in Southern California. And so an hour north from where you're going to be, is it going to, I mean, what, is it going to look much more different than someone that's five hours south? Or? No, 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 no. It, it, it um, I don't, how many minutes is it? This one, I'm not sure. Typically, the full eclipse is like seven minutes mm -hmm. or something. That's a long one. Um, so it, um, I've never seen one, and uh, I'd like, like to see it. But uh, most of the astronomer, most of the uh, amateurs, and everybody else will have studied and know a whole lot more than I'll, I'll be listening to what everybody's uh, what everybody's saying so uh, again most of the science I do is is at the high redshift high distance um, I don't do much uh, planetary and solar mm -hmm. system science yeah okay, let's get into another segment that we normally do in every event with Trent the gent and it's called the fill in the blank segment. So I'm gonna uh -oh. read you a couple of words. He said, okay. uh oh, and then it's, it's easy. <laughs> a couple of words and then you fill in the blank. So don't stop blank. Learning. Learning. And so obviously that's something that you have continued to do. Why is that so important and why should the listeners heed that advice? Um. I, I was just emailing with the with a friend of mine, uh, another professor. My, I've never played a video game, ever. Ever. It's remarkable. Are you the only one in the world? <laughs> My, you know, have I played? Uh, you know, I, you know, been in uh, a place where I, I've played. You know, the the 
the the ones that are in in lounges and bars and stuff. I, you know, are the, the are done that, but I have no okay. video games at home. Okay, I get you. Uh, my video game. So so tomorrow I'm I'm emceeing a, uh, a finals for the graduate students, where they all have to come up and give a talk, and it has to be timed how long they're up and the questions and the answers. So. Uh, I spent last night, I was up to one o'clock uh, making a program to do this and I'm, I shared it with one of the other professors and he goes, he goes, I tried to do that, you know, three years ago and he goes, I gave up and I go, and I go, I like the challenges and to be able to overcome them and actually this exercise I'm doing will be part of a lecture that I'm going to give this summer on how to use, I actually built this in a, a Google Sheets with, a Google, I, I wrote app scripts to run a, a, a Google Sheet will only update once a minute. So I, I wrote some scripts to actually update it every second and have timers so that I know what student's up next and when they'll be up and how long they're on. And, and, and it was way overkill, but it's, I wanted to learn how to to do these things. So don't stop learning. That's to me uh, my my twist on what a lot of people do with video games. And I don't watch sports. Uh, I just find both of them to be high time sinks. And as long as I can find something else that I enjoy to have that type of relaxation then I'll put it there and then develop new, new things and then I love to share and show people how how you can do those things. So the next time somebody is trying to build an app or something and how do you do this, it took me four hours to build this thing last night but I'll be able to tell them in 10 seconds here's the here's the trick on getting your, up, your sheet to update once a second. Wow. Before I go to the other two fill in the blanks, and you mentioned you never played a video game before at, at your home, we'll say, mm. and I'm sure you've heard this theory, speaking, talking about theories. Someone, I guess it's that theory out there that's saying that perhaps we are a video game and there's someone else on another planet or galaxy or something controlling us. What do you think about that theory? Well, I'm a... You know, I doubt it. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm a uh, fairly highly religious person. I uh, don't try and impose my religion on anybody, but I uh, it it gives me a lot of comfort that our world is distressed as it is. There actually is somebody in control, and uh, is that somebody in control? A 15-year-old kid in another universe playing a video game. Uh, God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> when I heard that, I'm like, wow, that's kind of crazy. You know, perhaps you've never played one in your home, but we may be actually we, living in a, we, in a video game. Yeah, well, I watched Tron again the other night when I was actually up at the, the observatory and we had some bad weather. So I actually watched Tron where a human being went into a, the, wasn't a video game, but went into the digital, digital world. So I, I find those, I find those you know, uh, entertaining. Yes. All right, back to fill in the blank. You can blank. Lead. 
you can make a lead isn't you can make a difference that that that's the better the better choice uh, you can make a difference and some people can make differences on grand scales uh, and that just may be because they have the wherewithal to do it you can make a difference on small scales um, there's the, the story in the Bible of the woman that uh, donated, the, I think it was called a mite, donated two mites, which isn't a penny, where someone else had, you know, a Pharisee or somebody had donated five dollars. So the two mites for somebody that has nothing is much more significant than five dollars for somebody that is very, uh, uh, very well healed. Uh, the two might difference, you know, uh, even if it isn't that much, but by possibly um, inspiring other people to give, uh, it, it can be the butterfly effect type of thing. So even small differences can change, dramatically change things. Number three, conversations are blank. Oh. This is really bad. I'm going to say optional. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It, uh, you know, I, for I, a millennial. No. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I enjoy conversations, but I don't find them uh, necessary for me to enjoy my time or, or, or have a good day. And it's just a personality uh, where I certainly understand. Uh, that some people uh, really need to express and exchange, and 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 that's um, that's probably a better way of living than uh, than my way, which is uh, you know I'm when I'm when I'm busy, I I like to be left alone. Makes sense. Let's wrap up here. Um, I think I have one last question, not unless you urge me to, to, to push it on <laughs> for it. But you've, you mentioned you can make a difference. And I'm thinking of when Steve Jobs said, um, make a dent in the universe. And I think that's appropriate for, for our, our talk today. And so on every episode of Vent with Trent, we also do, I've done, you know, doing Lent, was Lent with Trent. This one we go to dent with Trent. So, what is your dent in the universe? And I know you've mentioned other things you're working on. So, what is your dent in the universe, or what do you would you like your dent to be in the universe? Well, my I I have dents that I have, uh, and I'm going to use the dent in a, in a favorable uh, sense mm -hmm. uh, in that uh, uh, raising my children uh, that was. Um, uh, my 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 oldest was my stepdaughter who I actually raised, and and I I made a difference. She's uh, she's she's just a phenomenal uh, person, and it's I'm not who made her a phenomenal person, but I helped I helped her get in a place and have the space to become the person that she could be, and we're 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 very proud of, of what she's now doing and raising her children. So I think I made a difference there. 
uh, currently, when I said I, when the school invited me to join them on 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 faculty, I asked the the chair. I said, "What would you like me to do?" And his response to me was, "Make it up." And so, what I do, I give lectures on on new new techniques that I'm doing. Uh, there, uh, my the program that I. Uh, offer in college, it's called NCAT. It's non-compulsory astronomy talks. You don't have to come, but I'm going to talk. Sometimes I'll have three people, sometimes I'll have 25 people. I'll let them know what I'm going to talk about. And uh, so my goal is to give them the things that I've learned since graduating that I wish I would have been exposed to during the coursework. Um, some of it is technology. What we're doing this summer is I'm leading, uh, taking students to uh, Palomar Observatory for the day. We're getting to meet the people that actually run the, the observatory so that the students can determine if that's the type of career they would like to pursue. And I just secured, uh, last week I w went up Two weeks ago, I went up to JPL and spent the day there. I made some introductions, and they have agreed that I'm going to take the students up there for a day this summer to see the whole back end of, of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and I'm going to be heading the program. The in, they have an internship program, and I'm going to be um, leading that at San Diego State to encouraging the students and assisting the students in how to make themselves, um, put them in a, in a favorable position so that they may get summer interns and, uh, at JPL. And then we're going to tour the 30 meter telescope. Uh, they have a lab in Pas their office in Pasadena. That's the newest, biggest thing coming. And we, I'd like to expose our students to that so as there's going to be massive hiring on that program. So it's my goal that the students uh, have the option for that. Other things that I do, um, I buy and dedicate servers. We, I've had students that have come really smart guys and ladies. They've come to an, uh, an astronomy program and their computer is an iPad. I'm sorry, you're just not writing any advanced level programming languages on an iPad. So what I've done is I have a couple servers in my office that I dedicate to them and they're already loaded with all the different softwares and they can use their iPad to log in and have access to it. Uh, particularly for the young students that um, uh, you know, many of them are, 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 are not computer shy, but they really don't know the Unix language and, and the languages that astronomy speaks. That's not what they're getting exposed to. So the worst thing is to come into a program and you spend a good amount of your time just trying to get your computer to work. So here, I've already got everything loaded for them, all the software is there for them to get off and get started. By the time they graduate, I want them, I'd like them off my computer and onto their own so that they can update it. And uh, so I'm hoping to make a difference that, uh, uh, that the students will be able to 
uh, excel when they graduate and actually help them during their coursework. I'm also the I, I'm the the office help desk for their their computers when they have troubles. Um, they will Skype me, and I can help them with their computer um, recover something that they've lost or set something up. So that's uh, that's what I particularly like to do in astronomy. I do like to participate in the research. I don't like to lead the research. I don't like to write the papers. I, I do need to get a couple papers written, but I like to be the guy. So I was mentioning that Fast Radio Burst program. My my uh, collaborator reached out to me a year and a half ago. Said Chuck, I've we're going to have 40 astronomers for two weeks. We've got 17 observatories. All the data is coming into a massive supercomputer. We need to put up real time on the web the ability to filter, sort, and plot this data so that these astronomers can make their discoveries. Would you like to do the project? I said, sure, that'd be great. Uh, we have six weeks. And I just, you know, I, and I took it on and actually got it all done. And the software that I created is still what we're running uh, on that. So. So I, my, what I like to do in the research is I like to work with the researchers and find ways to support them so that uh, they can excel. Well, that's truly lots of dents, <laughs> and it, we're, we're grateful to, to have someone like you and, and a mind like yours out there working with the, with the youth. Um, before I forget, so the age of the students that you work with are what age range or uh, what grades? Okay, so they're freshmen to I currently have a student who's older than me. Hmm. I'm 59. So he's like me. He raised his kids, said, you know what? I always want to do this. I have the time. I have the money. And uh, so uh, I'll actually be helping administer his final tomorrow. Uh, so they range from uh, like 19 to 60. Majority of them are in their late 20s. Hmm. Nice. All right, so let's um, give the listeners an opportunity to find out how to, to reach you. So if there's, obviously we can give them information about Margaret's Cleaners, if you want to give them information on the astronomy side and um, San Diego State, you can do that. So any social platforms? So my contact information, I, I, I just actually just signed up my, my 12th Gmail account. Uh, I have a lot of different, uh, I, I think there's six different businesses now. Yeah, but it sounds like you have to have 12. But, but, but my, <laughs> my, my main emails for astronomy, it's, uh, my real name is John, so it's uh, jhorst. H-O-R-S-T at S-D-S-U dot E-D-U dot com. That's uh, jhorst at S-D-S-U dot E-D-U dot com. And for Margaret's, it's Seahorst at mar margaretscleaners dot com. And that's M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T-S. We'd be glad to answer any questions and, and help wherever I can. Well, Chuck, Never even knew your name was John. <laughs> so even I learned lots of new things about you today. And um, as I started off, 
you know, you've always been someone that I've looked up to and thanks for, you know, spending time with me over the years and I'm sorry that we can't do it more often, but I'm so glad that I've got to share you with the, the world, at least the little part of the world that follows me. And so I want to thank you um, for being a guest on Pimp with Trent today. Well, it's my pleasure and I've enjoyed our uh, uh, partnership and look forward, even though we live a, an hour or so apart, if you ever need us to follow up with anything for you down here, please don't hesitate to reach out. Will do. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks. There you have it, Venters. As you know, all I hope for is for you to continue to listen to the podcast as well as sharing the podcast. If you can help me to those ends, I will be able to continue to produce great contents that will make us all better. So thanks for listening, and I look forward to talking to you and another guest soon.